Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Uh, get your Bibles out if you have a Bible or your smartphone. You can go to the uh, Bible app and all the notes and the uh, scripture that we're going to look at today is, gonna, is, is in there. Uh, if, you don't, if you still don't know how that works, feel free to ask somebody and uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to follow along. So we're in chapter 3, we're going to do about half of chapter 3, or a little bit more than half of chapter 3 today of Titus, um, and we're going to finish up uh, next week, and then I think we'll do one more sort of what's the big deal about Titus after that, and then we'll move on to something else. So probably, including today, three more times that we'll be really focused on Titus, but we've titled it, we've subtitled it, Don't Mess Up What God Has Set Up. And so God has set an order. He's the author. He's the originator of this thing called Christianity, the gospel. And what has happened, at least in this island called Crete, uh, they, had, they had messed it up. They had brought in all sorts of other thoughts, other ways to get okay with God. And they had messed up what God had set up. And so Paul leaves Titus in Crete to set in order what had been out of order. And that's what we looked at last week to really focus on what is the correct order of Christianity because if we're not careful we ourselves could still be thinking we're in order actually be out of order ourselves and as you heard me pray after the first couple of songs that definitely was me for the first part of my life and I think if we passed around the proverbial microphone this morning we could probably all say yeah that was a big part of my life my spiritual understanding was out of order. And so there are these really three big pieces. We looked at one last week, we'll look at two today, of what Paul is trying to set in order in their understanding of what the gospel is. Order. We talked about what that means last week. It means not only proper arrangement, how things are to work in the correct order, but we also looked at the idea of how order has the idea of a desire. Like when you go to the restaurant, you place your order. It's what you want. So God has a desire for this thing of the gospel of Christianity to operate in a certain way. And Paul, almost at every step of the journey, he was finding um, things not in order. And definitely here in Crete. And I just think it's we could have a little bit of humility and say if Paul in the first century, I mean, when it was fresh, Christianity was fresh, if they struggled with having the correct order then, just 30 years or so after Jesus walked the earth, can't we maybe with a little bit of humility say, you know what, we might, after 2,000 years, struggle with what the correct order really is. And so he wants to set things in order. I don't know about you, but one of the most, um, I don't know if painful, but certainly most disappointing uh, realities of life is when you really, 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 and I mean, you know, those moments when you really need to go to the bathroom and you finally find one and you walk in and there's a sign hanging up and it says what? Out of order. That's the most fresh one of, you got to admit, one of the most, especially if it's one of your kids. Your kids is saying, you know, they're, they're potty training and, and they've got, you know, that, <laughs> the actual, uh, on cue, uh, on, you know, underwear on and no, no pull up. And the daddy, I really got to go, really got to go. And you finally find a place and there's the sign <clears throat> out of order. It's frustrating because you need things in order, especially in that moment. And so I don't think we should overlook 
the severity of what Paul is saying here. Things are not in order. And when things aren't in order, there's chaos. And the beauty of what is, the beauty of this gospel, the beauty of this order, it's not going to be seen. It's not going to be experienced. And so what was out of order, real quickly, just to bring us up to speed, and we're going to jump into chapter 3, is there were many, this is back in chapter 1, there were many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. In other words, what was happening... These uh, Jews in particular, he says, especially those of the circumcision. There were those who were Gentiles as well doing this. He's just saying, especially those of the circumcision who were saying Jesus is a big piece. He is a big piece, but there's more to it. There's, he's a big piece of this thing of salvation, yes, but we've got to go beyond just faith in Jesus in order for uh, this wickedness in our culture, this wickedness in our world, this wickedness in our church to be corrected. And so he says, these must be silenced. These people who are trying to add to the simplicity of Christ because they are upsetting entire families. You think of a church in that culture might have only been, a house church might have only been one or two families. So whole churches, if you think of it, are being upset. They're, they're following this bad teaching and they're teaching things they should not teach. And so there's a lack of order. They're saying, Jesus, as we've seen in Galatians and other places, Jesus gets you in, and that's great, but you've got to have more. You've got to have commandments. Does anybody remember, it's not on the screen, does anybody remember what Paul said in chapter 1 that following the commandments of men actually does? It says it turns you away from what? Anybody remember? The commandments of men are turning people away from the truth. That's so absurd sounding because we think, no, no, commandments, you know, you need to do this, you need to not do that. That sounds like that provides some order. But what if our concept of order in our religious thinking and the trees and the knowledge of good and evil is actually not the order in which God is set up? And so we've spent our lives out of order, just like they were in Crete. And then he explains in chapter 2, skipping ahead, just what we saw last week, here's the order. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God appeared bringing salvation to all men, which I'm sure they understood that. It's God's grace that gets us saved. But here's the big kicker from last week. It's the grace of God that's instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So it's actually, here's the order. The grace of God not only saves us, But his grace is actually also what teaches us. See, they were out of order. They were going to commandments. They were going to rules, to statutes, to ordinances, to say this is what makes us actually okay. Now, I don't know what your background specifically may be, but this doesn't have to be um, blatant in the sense of your background probably isn't Hey, Jesus saves you, but if you really want to get to closer to Jesus, then here is this, uh, here's this list, here's this book of all these other things that you must do in order to really be okay with God. Like, it doesn't come across that blatant at all. But in the group that I was a part of, there were several very serious um, innuendos, at least, to say that this is what really makes you okay really makes you a little bit cleaner and closer. And one was baptism, water baptism. And if you are a Christian, then here's obedience. Obedience is you get baptized by water. Now, for the record, listen, I'm all for water baptism. I'm all for it. I love it when we do it, when somebody trusts in Jesus and we baptize them. It's a fantastic picture of what Jesus has done, the death of the old and the, resurre- the, the birth of the new. That's a beautiful reality. But to tie it... And that's the thing, to tie it to now that you've done it, now you're obedient. Now you're cleaner. Now you're a little closer. To to the degree that the group that I was a part of, they would not allow you, at least in their formal documents, they wouldn't allow you to take the bread and the cup in celebration of the Lord's death, the, the covenant meal. They wouldn't permit you, at least on paper, to take that, because you hadn't been water baptized. 
Where do they get that from? I don't know. But where does that turn you away from? That turns you away from the life-giving reality of God's Spirit in you, and it turns you towards, oh, well, what else is there I need to do? What else is there I need to avoid? What else do I need to accomplish in order to get close? Is it just these two things that I need to do, or are there more? And so what Paul is saying, look, it's not, that's out of order. Whether it's a blatant sort of Judaism, here's the 619, 13, whatever things, or sort of this other way of, it's, you know, well, you've got to do this. And of course, you know, if you're really a good Christian, if you really want to get a little bit more, then you, you do this as well. And certainly the most dedicated will do this. And so it doesn't have to be blatant. It can be very, um, very uh, passive. But you know where you stand in that group based on what you do and how you do or don't do these things. And so... Paul is setting order, saying, no, it's not commandments, traditions, actions of any sort. It is his grace that actually teaches us to say yes to Jesus and to say no to sin. And that was a huge misunderstanding in the church. He's he's calling for order in the church, order in the court, if you think of it that way. And the order, number one, is that grace is is what teaches us. God's very grace teaches us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, not the law. In fact, Galatians chapter 4 is pretty blatant. Uh, We didn't talk about this last week. We need to get on to chapter 3. But Galatians chapter 4, if you're curious as to how Paul really feels about whether or not Christians, believers, should look to the law to... um, Grow or to measure or to figure out their okayness before God, read Galatians chapter 4 um, because he says very plainly, throw the law and the works of the flesh away. Throw it away. For you are not born of the slave woman, talking about Hagar, but you have been born of the freed woman. Jerusalem above is your mother. And so even if we look to the law to figure out, okay, am I getting a little bit better? Am I getting a little bit you know, closer? Then where are our eyes not on? Our eyes aren't on Jesus because we're trying to measure up to something external when he has placed his very own life within. Galatians 4 might blow your socks off. And so at the end of chapter 2 from last week, Paul says this These things, that grace is what instructs, not law, not commandments, not rules, not ordinances, not traditions of the circumcision, but these things, that grace is what instructs you. Speak these things, exhort and reprove with all authority. I think Paul's pretty serious about this, wouldn't you say? This is the order that grace alone is what teaches us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. So we're going to turn the page a little bit to chapter 3, and we're going to see really two more points of order in the first, I think, 11 uh, verses, 11 chapters, 11 verses of this chapter. So he says, remind them, remind who? Remind the the church, the people. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. In other words, look, your citizenship, yes, it's of heaven. We know that. I mean, Philippians is clear. But you're also walking in this place. And so how can you be an effective uh, witness, an effective ambassador for Christ of another world if you're living in opposition to the leadership and the rulership of this world? And so be subject to the rulers, to the laws, to the authorities. Be in line with them. Now, in our culture, fortunately, if we don't like how a certain law or certain rule works, every couple of years we have the opportunity to either run for leadership authority ourselves in Congress or we have the opportunity to vote people out. And so we are in a very unique situation that they were not in in the, in the Roman Empire. Could you imagine you know, a, one of, a Christian in Rome who did not, uh, in the Roman Empire, who did not appreciate what, was, uh, what laws happened to be, the idea of being able to run for leadership, that was totally foreign for them. To be able to govern yourself, we have a very unique 
culture in which we live where we actually are to be self-governing, something they didn't have in that culture. Um, and so we can, we can not only submit ourselves to rulers and authorities, but we can actually, in our culture, become the rulers and authorities by running for Congress and by affecting change in those different ways. He says, to malign no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men, for all people. Now, why would Paul, kind of as he's wrapping up this letter, why would he kind of give these broad statements of, listen, be peaceable, be kind, be compassionate, be considerate for all the people that you find yourself engaged in? Why would he do that? Well, he answers that in verse 3. He says, for, again, I got that in red because that helps us understand what he just said. We also once, he's talking about we believers, we also were once foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaving to various lusts. The word lust is where we get the word hedonism from in English. And pleasures. Spending our lives, our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That doesn't sound like a, you know, a Hallmark card right there. He's saying this is where we were. But... Now, here's the order. Here's where this point of order that I hear Paul saying. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Now, it's, a, it's bad to probably stop in the middle of a sentence, but we're going to stop in the middle of a sentence. Paul is saying, look, this world that we're in, it's, it's, it's not peaceable. It's not good. There's, there's struggle. There's strife. But we can, because of what God has done for us and to us, because of his kindness towards us and his love for us, we can actually act and behave differently than what we find in this world. Here's the point of order. If you are living trying to appease God, trying to fulfill a mandate or a requirement that you feel as though God has placed upon you in order to impress him, please him, grow closer to him, however you want to phrase that. Your motivation for doing that activity or not doing that activity is not his kindness towards you. More than likely, the reason that you would seek to appease him or behave in a certain way would be because you fear what could happen if you didn't? For example, if we were in a situation where we thought that God, let's take a, a, a crazy example. We thought that God's order, God's edict is that any one of us who even touches and tastes alcohol is outside of God's plan, outside of God's desires, outside. You are removed from his presence because you have touched alcohol. Well, your motivation for not touching alcohol would be what? Fear that he's going to kick you to the curb because you've touched something that was defiled. Now, I don't endorse, obviously, drunkenness whatsoever because we're under the control of some other spirit rather than the spirit of God. But is it fear of God's Rejection that ought to motivate us to do and live and be? I mean, think about that. Isn't that, though, what so much of our understanding of Christianity at some level comes down to? If I do this or if I don't do that, then there's a consequence involved, and so I better not. And I think that living by that system of laws, rules, commands creates and incites a fear-based obedience, a fear-based actions that might produce good behavior, but because of fear and not because of desire from within. So Paul is saying, 
Listen, here's the order. Here's proper order. It isn't the judgment of God that came. It wasn't his anger that came. It wasn't his wrath that came that caused us to have something, see something better and to believe and to be born again. It was his kindness that came. It was his love that came that we began to see and understand that caused us to believe. This is how he says it in Romans chapter 2. He says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Repentance, a big church word for changing your mind. He said, Don't you understand that it's his kindness toward you that, cha- that leads you to change your mind about things? And I think each of us could probably testify to say, you know, I didn't know, at least for the big part of my life, that it was his kindness towards me that is his motivation for changing how I think. I can remember years and years of, you know, fire and brimstone, of your better or else sort of teaching. Is that what the apostles are teaching and communicating? That it's the fear of his wrath that causes us to change our mind? Not at all. It is his kindness that causes us to change our mind. So it's the kindness of God, our Savior, when that appeared. Not his wrath, not his judgment, not his list of expectations, but when his kindness appeared and when his love appeared. When I think of the love of God, I think of, obviously, 1 Corinthians 13. So if God is this love, we're going to read through this very, very quickly we usually use this at like weddings, you know, to try to, you know, connect like, hey, this is what I'm going to be towards you. But really what 1 Corinthians 13, it's a reflection of God himself. This agape, God is patient. You see that? And when this love of God appeared, Paul is saying in Titus, that's what led us to believe in him. And so this love, it's patient. This is God. He's patient. Love, who is God, is kind. There's kindness and love connected together. And it's not jealous. Love does not brag and it's not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly or selfishly. It does not seek its own. Love, it's not provoked. And here's the big deal that I could testify for myself was totally out of order in Christianity. I think the Christians in Crete, the the Jews in Crete were out of order especially on this last one. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Other translations say, love keeps no record of wrong. So this is what appeared. A kindness of God. Not a harshness, not a judgment, not a retaliation, but a kindness appeared and a love appeared that mankind just simply wasn't a ready for, if you think, if you say it that way, a love that actually is keeping no records of wrong. And so Paul is saying when this appeared, so his grace appeared, his kindness appeared, his love for mankind appeared. When he appeared, of course, the person of Jesus, he saved us. Not on the basis of our needs. This is back in chapter three of, of, of Titus. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, not because of anything we could bring to the table, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Spirit. So here's what I hear Paul saying. Here's order. Order is, it isn't our adherence to laws, commands, rules, and trying to live up to these expectations or else we disappoint God. He keeps a record of our wrong. He holds it against us. He swivels his chair away from us, his chair of, of, of favor away until we repent and, and, and ask for forgiveness and plead the blood again. That's not the system. 
That's out of order. Any thinking that by your doing is what accomplishes this, it's out of order. It wasn't his judgment for man that appeared that caused us to be saved and to, to be joined to him. It was when his kindness appeared. It's when his grace appeared. It's when his love appeared that keeps no record of wrong. When that appeared, that blew us away and according to this mercy, by the washing of generation, we were born again, born of his spirit. That's a big deal. Because we think, we tend to think that we need to really bring the fire. We really need to bring the judge. We really need to bring the awareness of God's hatred towards this whether it be the sin or this individual or this whatever, in order for that person to get on board, for, in order for that person to change their mind. I'll give you a quick example. Early on when the Lord was opening my eyes to this uh, reality of, of the gospel of the grace of God, back in like 2012, 2013, there was a family that was coming to our church that we had invited. They started coming. And I got to give this really quick because it's a long story. But it came to our attention that uh, the husband, or the, the man and the woman were living together, but they were not wed. They were not married. And they were really tr connecting. They were really, you know, enjoying what was going on. And so that time came for that conversation. I said, well, tell me, you know, what's, what's going on with, with you? Oh, well, you know, I, I, I was married before. You know, she's got issues with this, blah, blah, blah. And there was like all this cultural, even religious sort of issues. It's kind of funny because it was like, because I don't believe in divorce, she said, and he's been divorced, I'm not going to marry him, so we're going to live in an adulterous relationship. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Uh, I was like, so that's better, you know. But anyways, we, we get weird, you know, when we try to rationalize things, right? But anyways, and so I had a choice to make. I remember. I was like, this is a choice that we have right here. We could either say, listen, don't you understand that God hates this? Don't you understand that God is against this? Don't you understand, you know, bringing the judgment, if you will. Or we could say, talk about what God has actually done to them by their faith in Jesus Christ, what they have done to them, what the gospel actually is, that they actually are righteous and clean, that they are holy, they have a desire to be and to do who they actually are now in Christ. Discipleship, if you will. Taught them who they really were, who they really are, according to the scriptures. And in a matter of not even five or six weeks, they went from, why would I ever want to do that because of the X, Y, and Z, to a phone call after church one Sunday. Hey, can you meet us at Mint Springs? Well, sure, I can. Why? Because there's this thing that overlooks uh, King Family Vineyard, and we'd love for you to marry us. Not a single harsh, condemning word from me but totally teaching them, instructing them by grace in the apparent that had appeared and this love and kindness of the Lord towards them that changed their mind regarding the sanctity and the beauty and the glory of marriage. Now, does that happen every single time? No, I gotta be honest, it doesn't. But how beautiful it is when it does and people respond not out of fear, but out of the kindness of God towards them. It's awesome. That's the order. And so he saved us by the washing of regeneration. Regeneration, that's a big word. Re meaning again. Generation meaning beginnings. Like Genesis, the book of Genesis. It's the beginning. It's, it's Greek for, for, uh, for beginning. And so it's a whole new beginning. We don't catch that. We don't understand that. We don't internalize that enough that when we, because of his kindness and love, when grace appeared and we believed in him, we actually have a whole new beginning. We try to carry in with us into our relationship with God, who we once were before. And what the scripture is teaching is, no, you have a whole new beginning, a whole new life and renewing by the spirit of God. It's all new. 
It's completely new who you are. And so what Paul is painting this picture of is, guys, listen, you're trying to achieve something that's already happened. You're trying to grow by commandments and trying to accomplish God's desire out of a list of obedience to commands. But don't you realize that that is not order. The order is look at his kindness, his grace, his mercy, and see what he's done to you. You've been washed. Stop trying to get washed. You've been made new, a new beginning. Stop trying to start over and over every single week when you come together. You are new by his very spirit. Look at his kindness, whom the spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus, our savior. Here's the deal. Here's what happens when we get into this religious thinking of obedience to commands is what measures our spiritual okayness with God. We say when we're doing good, when we're obeying certain things, we say, you know, the spirit is, is with me. The spirit is heavy. The spirit, you know, is upon me. But then when we are perhaps in a season of disobedience or we're doing things that we ought not be doing, we're doing things that are not consistent with who we are, we say things like, well, the spirit is just, it's just not strong in me. The spirit isn't you know, with me. The Spirit isn't, you know, close to me. And what this Paul is, again, setting in order is that the truth is that the, that God poured out His Spirit richly. That word richly, it means, uh, uh, it means to, the, to the point at which you're not able to actually contain it anymore, abundantly, beyond what you could ever handle. And so even in our moments of, let's say, disobedience or sinning or walking after the flesh. Well, Paul is saying, here's the true order. The Spirit of God is still in you richly. Your behavior is not what determines whether the Spirit of God is richly in you. It's all based upon what? The appearance of His kindness and His love towards you. That's the basis. And so they were trying to achieve things fullness of the spirit you know the riches of the spirit in them they're trying to achieve things that what Paul is saying no you've already been given those things you're out of order and so Christianity had sort of devolved in Crete at least into really another system another form of Judaism where it was all based upon their ability to control their ability to to, to clean themselves, to get cleaner, to get closer, to get a little bit more of Jesus. Just like they did for thousands of years in Judaism, hundreds of years. And so what Paul is saying is this is the proper order. That it's his kindness that has done this. It's his love that has done this. Not anything that you could bring to the table. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this whole work is his grace. It's made us heirs and it's not anything that we could bring to the table. This, Paul says, is a trustworthy statement. In other words, what I just now said to you that it's the kindness of the Lord, it's his love that he showed towards all mankind that has now given us by his spirit a whole new life, a whole new reality in him. This is what needs to be communicated, Titus. This is the trustworthy statement, not what those false teachers are proclaiming, upsetting entire families. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things of God's kindness, of God's love towards mankind, of his, of his grace and his mercy that has set us free. I want you to speak these things confidently. Confidently. With boldness. Because there are going to be many who say, Titus, you've lost it. Titus, you don't know what you're speaking about. Titus, let me take you to Deuteronomy and show you what really is. Any one of us can go to Deuteronomy, what is it, 23 or whatever, and read the whole conditions of the old covenant. If you do these things, you will be blessed. If you do these things, you will be cursed. Titus, what do you think? How could you say the kindness and the love appeared doing it? Don't you, can't you read Titus? 
And so Paul is saying, listen, that's not order in the body of Christ. I want you to speak these things of God's grace, mercy, kindness, and love with confidence so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Do you see the order he's putting these things? He's saying that it's the grace of God, the kindness of God, and the love of God, these three things that have appeared where he initiated it, his grace, his kindness, his love, that had been poured out towards all mankind. The response to that, the things that we can't help but do, what his grace, his kindness, his love are teaching us, they're teaching us, they're instructing us, they're motivating us to do these good deeds, to engage in good deeds. But what the false teachers were teaching was you do the good deeds in order for the grace, in order for the mercy, in order for the love to be shown upon you. Out of order. The true order is they have appeared. It, he happened first. God's love, mercy and, uh, came first. And now from that flows these good deeds that we desire to do that are profitable But avoid, verse 9, foolish controversies and genealogies. Avoid these things. They're no benefit and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So don't waste your time talking with people about how the law is God's tool for your spiritual growth. Because it's unprofitable. It's worthless time. Because your, your, focus, your focus is taken away from Jesus. And until this is revealed to them by the Spirit, it's not going to benefit anyone. Now, is Paul saying that the law is useless, unprofitable, and worthless? Is the law worthless? Is that what Paul's saying? No. He says that disputes about the law are useless and unprofitable. What does Paul say? We said this last week at 1 Timothy. What is the law good for? It is good when it's used lawfully. It's good when it's used to show, namely, an unbeliever the reality that they do not measure up and that they need righteousness. So when the law is used lawfully, it's, it's great. It's good. But what does Paul say in Romans? If you put you under the law... What happens? What's the result? Death. Death. What else? When you put you under the law of Moses, the law of God, what happens? Death. What else? Sinning Sinning of every kind. kind. That's out of order. Let 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 me clarify something. God's desire is not for you and I to produce sinning of every kind. So why in the world would they in Crete and us today in 2018 seek to put believers in any sort of way under the law? I've given this illustration before. I'll give it real quick. Anybody have an MRI? You've had an MRI? Okay. Is an MRI machine evil? Some might say yes. That little tunnel, you know. But in general, generally speaking, is an MRI machine evil? No. Now let's say you've had an injury, you've had a surgery, you've had some sort of constructive repair in your body, and you've got a bunch of metal inside of you. And for some reason, you didn't tell the operator that you've got metal in you. And they put you with this metal in you into that under that MRI machine. What's going to be produced? Pain. Of all kind. Because the MRI machine excites the metal that is in you drawing it out. MRI machine bad? No. Metal bad? Well, no. But you put the two together, pain of all type. The law, is it bad? No. It's holy. It's good. But you put you that has sin the power of sin, the, pens, the, pers- the thing of sin, capital S sin, the noun, the thing of sin in your flesh, you put you under the law and the law excites sin that lives in your mortal body to now produce sinning of all sorts. 
So what is Paul's remedy? What's the order? You are dead. You are free from the law. By death, you have died to it so that you could be now joined to another Christ Jesus himself. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7. And so through that, we now are joined to one who does not excite sin in the flesh. We're joined to one who produces his life through us. And the product, the fruit of his life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all these same things we see Paul talking about in regards to the Lord. That is the order. So he's not saying that the law is worthless. The law is good at what it does. It shows that we are exceedingly sinful apart from Christ and in desperate need of Christ. That's the whole point of God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And the whole point of giving the children, they were the chosen people, Israel, the chosen people. Chosen for what? Chosen to show them that they could not keep an end of the bargain. And so we must fling our whole hope upon Christ and Christ alone, who not only saves us, but it's Christ and his grace and kindness and love that actually teach us to live righteously by his life. And so he's warning them. He said, don't get engaged in these foolish controversies about genealogies, about who we got who, and that is how you are here. That, that, that's not the system. That's not the order. We have a whole new beginning. Our fleshly genealogy of who your daddy's daddy daddy is, that doesn't even matter because we've died to this world and our new father is God himself. That's the genealogy to discover. He says, reject a fractious man after a first and second warning. See, there's grace. He's like, hey, there's warnings. Hey, look, if you're going to keep bringing that garbage of, no, we need the law in order to grow. Listen, here, here, warning number one, that's not the way it works. Okay, you bring it back. Warning number two. But now if you're going to continue trying to promote Jesus plus adherence to Moses' law or commandments of men, listen, that shows that you're not on paid, you're not on board with what the truth is. You're, you're out of order. So he says, reject that man, that person, that fractious man, trying to cause a division to fracture the body of Christ. Knowing that such a man, now this is Paul, right? This is kind of harsh here. He is perverted and he is sinning. context, right? These guys are coming in saying there's too much sinning in the church so let's bring in some laws to get the curbing under control. And Paul is saying that such a man is what? Sitting. Do you find that a little ironic? That the person who is trying to help the sinning problem is the one who is sinning. Because what they're doing is not of faith. They're not trusting that Jesus in them is able to lead them in his life. They say, Jesus is able to get you out of hell, but you need some Moses in order to really grow and change your life around in this world. He says they're sinning because they're self-condemned. They're self-condemned because they're trying again to, if I don't do this, if I, if, if, if I don't bring this to them, and if I don't live under this same system myself, then I... I'm not okay with God. And so if this is something that I am not okay with God because I do these things, I've got to put it upon them. And Paul's whole point is he's under, he or she is under this, this, this weight of self-condemnation because they think that by doing or not doing, they're righteous, unrighteous, they're clean, they're dirty, etc. He says, that's not the order. It is not the order. So our little phrase we've been working with, the Titus, don't mess up what God has set up. I mean, he set something up that's very specific. It is not only his grace that has brought salvation, but his grace that actually teaches us. And when we revert to some other system other than his grace alone, the life of Christ within, his kindness and his love and his mercy towards us that motivates and changes us from the inside out, we're out of order. I want to give a quick 
illustration of how I've seen this played out in my life. A couple, maybe within the last year, Gwen, uh, my seven-year-old, got into trouble um, at home for like the 14th time in a row. It was a pretty bad day. And uh, so she was in her room. And, you know, um, I don't know how you feel. And it's not, that's not the point of this story about uh, spanking. Um, but she knew that because of the, the amount of times that she had done what she had done, that spankings were coming. And I finally get to her room. Because that's part of the punishment. You've got to sit there and wait, right? So I finally get to her room. She's laying in her bed. I mean, she's just bawling her eyes out. Because she's expecting punishment by spanking. And I don't know what happened. But I just heard the Lord, not like audibly, but I just sensed the Lord saying, teach her about the grace of God, the compassion the kindness, and the love that has appeared. And so I asked her what she deserved. And she knew it. I mean, she deserved to be in trouble because of what she had. I forget now. I wish I remembered, but I forget now. And I said, and, and, and I remember telling her, I said, and I told you that if you do this one more time, you're going to get what? I'm, you said that if I did it again, I would get a spanking. And what did you do? I did it again. And so what do you deserve? I deserve a spanking. And I said, now, and this is where the Lord started whispering. I said, now this is what's going to happen. Instead of you getting a spanking, daddy's going to get your spanking. She looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm looking at me like I'm crazy. And I took the time to teach her in that moment about a kindness and a grace and a love that appeared from God himself that took our spanking. And so before her, I mean, she's crying, Daddy, I don't want to spank, I don't want to. I mean, we've all been there, right? It's not with your kids when you were a kid. And as I lifted my hand up to spank my own rear, She didn't know what was happening. I spanked myself. And she just started bawling even louder. Daddy, stop. You didn't do it. I did it. And it was three spankings she deserved. And so I spanked myself a second time. She's all the louder. Stop, Dad. I deserved it, not you. And her little heart tenderized in that moment as she saw a sacrificial, substitutionary, atoning work for her sins. And without me spanking her, in this one instant, there's been plenty of others, she saw kindness she saw mercy, she saw grace, she saw love. And she said to me, without getting a spanking, Daddy, I am so sorry. I will never do that again. Whether she did or didn't, again, I don't even remember what it was. But she saw kindness on display. She saw a love that sought to keep no record of wrong against her. The record of wrong was exercised, but against me. And is that not what the kindness and the grace of the Lord has done? It has appeared where the judgment of God against sin was executed, but it was executed upon his own son so that God now can look at you and say, what sin? And if any of us have wrestled with that grace, that kindness, that love that has appeared, I submit to you that all of our reactions will be the same as my daughter. I am so sorry. I will never do that again.
It's counterintuitive because we think that God being, quote, easy on us is going to produce sinning. So we need some harsh rules, laws, and regulations to keep everybody in line. But apparently, that's not the order. Our journey marker is proper order. We think about order in the church, order in God's family. We need order. We do need order. But here's what proper order is. Proper order, apparently, is properly seeing God as kind and as love. It's outside the scope of this message because I'm, I'm, I'm done. But I think a big question that we might need to answer, maybe we'll talk about this some next week, is, well, what about judgment? What about his judgment for sin? Is there not judgment for sin? I say, absolutely. That's what the cross was. Where he exercised fully. Do you not know that Jesus says, now this is the judgment of the world? As he was being led to the cross. So John the Baptist and all the prophets who were proclaiming the pending wrath and judgment of God. It was coming. But what the prophets didn't see was that it was God himself clothed in flesh who would receive that judgment. Death. When this grace and when this kindness and when this love is received by mankind, it produces godliness, not rebellion. It produces the same. Grace produces grace. Kindness produces kindness. Love produces love. But fear produces fear. And it's not the order. So closing questions. Is, quote, the church, not just our church, but is the church today out of order? I can't speak globally, but I can just speak from my experience. Yeah. Out of order, just as they were on Crete. But more personally to you and to me, because I'll have to say yes to this at times in my own life. Are you out of order? Am I out of order? At times, maybe not all the time, but at times when we see the Lord, God the Father, as the one ready to pounce, ready to exercise that judgment, ready to spring into action when we get out of line. What's the old saying? Oh, well, I better scoot over because here comes the lightning strike because you just what? You just lied or whatever. Now, we might say that in, in jest, but there's something to that. We're believing that his judgment is still pending. If God's judgment against sin is still pending, then what in the world was the cross for? I think his judgment has been totally executed and swallowed up by his son. And when he said it is finished. He meant it. And it is finished. And we now survey. As the song that we sing. We survey this wondrous cross. And we say what love is this. What mercy is this. What forgiveness is this. What kindness is this. For I once was. All those things that Paul had there. In that non-Hallmark card. But he loved me, he saved me, and he's made me new. And now surveying this kindness, what does that motivate me to do? The very same. Because it produces after its own kind. So that's chapter, a little bit of chapter 3. There's a little bit more of chapter 3 we'll wrap up with next week. But I think this is a big deal. Because if we don't see God as kind, as love, and we're waiting for the proverbial shoe to drop then we're not going to see the reality of who he is we'll be living in fear rather than as sons and daughters as his own righteousness any questions or thoughts or debate or concern or but what about or perhaps even a example
maybe like I shared, but an example that you've seen in your life of his kindness, his mercy towards you, producing a life of, 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 of quote, um, obedience that, his, that fear never could? Or anything. Any thoughts? I, I thought the example you gave about the couple and, and divorce was, was, uh, was pretty interesting because the concept of divorce being something that's unacceptable, etc., is is part of the law, right? And in trying in that fight with the law, it caused sin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, great, great. And so, again, your example of living beneath the law. Yeah. You're trying to interpret the law instead of just living the way that you feel is, is God. Right? right. Yeah, that's great. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Jones? I had a, a personal experience uh, one time of getting in a situation where I found myself doing something that I didn't think I would do and probably not that acceptable in society. And But afterwards, I found myself feeling an overwhelming sense of love and grace from God. And I was like, how can I experience this in the middle of the judgment of, I guess, the greater society? Mm -hmm. and, and I had to think of that yeah. when you talked about your daughter. Yeah. And um, I had another incident that, that was kind of similar to yours where one of our children had a child who was prone to mischief and they set up a little system of trying to get the child to I guess do good or perform but then you could also get in the red and you could get negative anyway this child got themselves so deep that they weren't going anywhere for years months and years and and it just it got so overwhelming and so big that the parents started thinking this child's never getting out of this. Right. And we're wondering what we thought about that moment. And of course, it was not my child. It might have been easier to extend grace. And I said, well, this child might be right for exactly what you talked about. I said, um, don't just reduce it. What would happen? Perhaps the time is right for you just to say one morning and say, guess what? The slate is clean. Yeah. And I'm not even sure what they ended up doing, right. but I was inspired to think yeah. of that. And yeah. Maybe that was a result of me feeling the grace of God. And sure. God on me, right. In spite of me not being able to measure up. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 good. I mean, we can create we can create behavior out of fear, even in our own kids. But is that the objective? Fear based obedience? It's nice that there's obedience, let's be honest. But is, it, is that the objective? Just fear-based compliance. It's a tough, it's a tough deal. Yeah. So years ago, back when I lived in Dallas, pretty much always late to church, right? Mm -hmm. And um, still are. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget, there, there was an evangelist I used to watch. I really liked it, you know. And I never forget seeing about, you know, you're going to church, you're robbing God. Mm. Worship, he just worships first, and you're, you're robbing him. And of course, boy, what did I do? I took that same message, what he said, and started imposing it on my family. Yeah. And now I look and say, you know, instead of that, I'm just happy we're here, right? It's yeah. I'm happy people come. I'm happy. Right. I don't care if you show up in the last five minutes. I'm just happy to right. see you. you know? Yeah. It's good to, to see you folks come and, and love one another. Right. You know? and, and, and it doesn't matter. That yeah. stuff is so trivial. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It made me think just now of, do I want my wife, April, to be my wife because 14, 15 years ago she promised to be my wife? Or do I want her to be my wife today because 
she wants to be my wife. You know what I mean? It's like, I want her to want to be my wife. Not just because she said I do, till death do us part. And so she's like signed a contract. I want her to actually want to be my wife today. And that's like what you're saying, like, or try to just create a, a behavior because of, again, fear or obligation, compulsion, or because you just want to. I think when we free people from the law of tithing, for example, that actually creates the opportunity for people to give freely from the heart, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians. It's freely from the heart. And that actually might increase, might not, but it might increase what is given because it's freely from the heart, not out of compulsion or obligation. Exactly. Any other thoughts? Yeah, John. Yeah. Thinking about the love of God and the way I, the way I see it now, and how I feel about myself. At the end of the, there was some stuff in there about the situation and what's going on and all that. Whatever. But there's a, there was a line at the end of the car that she wrote that me and her both seen. This is the, something along this line, something about preserving our godly heritage. I just kind of broke, just kind of started laughing. I said, you know, that's just a joke. Coming from where it's coming from. Mm. You know, it's not that it is wrong, but from the wrong perspective, from under the law, you know, preserving a godly heritage. Right. You know, you make an assumption, we, or whoever, make an assumption about somebody based on appearances. Yeah. And me and her both agree that we're both in a better place as far as where we are in our relationship with God. That's it. So, we're preserving our godly heritage. What is she, you know, that girl knows nothing about the situation. So I said, in my perspective, you know, you tend to try to make from under the law appear mm. to have a godly heritage. Mm. And yeah. so when we were talking about it, I said, you know, so we have the outward appearance of the right thing. Right. But yet you have no love. Well, you, you really have nothing. Yeah. Other than, I don't know if torture is the right thing, but um, it's not life. Right. It's not love. Right. And I said, you know, I feel like you know, how far we've come as far as relationship and especially with children over the last four months, we've had more improvements as far as relationship is concerned in four months than we did in 12 years. Huh. You know, so that to me is the godly heritage that I seek now. Right. It's not, you know, what is everybody else thinking? Oh, my word, my Christian people is not living together, even separated, you know, or whatever might happen. Uh-huh. To me, that's not the point. Right. You know, we're to, you know, God is what we're reading. You know, yeah. He's love. Right. He never fails. I mean, it's just, he don't see things the way we see them. That's just, yeah. I guess, the point. Yeah. No, that's good. Paul said that according to the law, he was blameless. Right? As far as appearance before other people, blameless. But he knew about that coveting issue, didn't he? He knew that when he was placed under it, that coveting started coming out. And as he was placed under the law further and further, he grew. Is, there it is. Did you hear it? That, didn't, that wasn't too loud. Okay. Well, out there it's a lot louder. Um, but there's coveting of all sorts that started coming out of him. Ooh. So, um, anything else? All right. Well, let's keep praying for uh, Jessica and the family as they're struggling through a difficult time. And um, just praying for one another. I think it's a big deal. Um, Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the ability, the opportunity today to, to see order. To see order as the apostle wrote, but it bears witness with our own spirit that we began this by faith in Jesus and we continue this by faith in Jesus. There's no bait and switch. We don't come to you by faith in Jesus and then we progress to something different. It's all faith in Jesus. So that means that right now, 
in order, the proper order, we are trusting Jesus, not just for our salvation, but we're trusting Jesus right now for even our behavior. We trust that as we survey your grace, your mercy, your kindness towards us, that as we see with our eyes, the eyes of our heart, your favor and your love and your compassion, we trust that that will produce the very same in us. It will produce the very same compassion and grace and mercy, obedience to rulers, authorities, as Paul was talking about, because we survey your kindness, your mercy, and your grace towards us. So help us, we pray, to set our eyes on the reality of who you truly are and replace any and all images of you that we think are you, replace those with the truth of who you really are. Full of mercy, full of grace, full of love, kindness. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.